welcome to the Gerald Davis Overflowing Cup Tape Ministry. God's people are being informed and changed through these anointed revelation truths. Gerald's messages are aimed at helping God's people walk in success for the rest of their lives on earth. This message will help you do just that. One of the guys who has uh, made a great impact on my life uh, with us this morning, Brother Gerald Davis. And uh, Brother Gerald's going to come and uh, share with us the Word of God, preach to us the God's eternal Word this morning. Give him a hand as he comes, would you? Thank you, Pastor. I'm going to take the privilege of leaning on this stool this morning. I have a little bit of a back issue that don't let me stand up too long without talking to me. Uh, it's Labor Day and people are out and about and some traveling around taking advantage of the last opportunity for the weekend. What I have this morning is something that has been on my heart, pressing in my spirit actually for about three months close to it. I have shared it already one time in another church. And uh, I want to say up front, it's not something that will be of a troubling fact to you because you, how many are saved and you know it? Say amen. If you're not, you, you want to you be sure that happens for you here after you hear what I say, what I share here with this morning. I'm going to talk about the subject, hell no. And I'll extrapolate on that lest you think I'm swearing. If there is a literal hell, no. I don't want to go. And the reason I guess this has come into my spirit like it has is because I've heard some things bantered about with so many other changes that are happening, and I never allow myself to move in any direction spiritually other than what the Scriptures teach. I believe it. I stand by that. I, I trust my life. I trust my eternity to what the Scriptures say. I wanted to post this on the screen, but they were not able to do it with just a printed outline. So I'm going to mention to you that I have listed uh, quite a few verses that I'm not going to read, not going to go into, but in the four Gospels alone, Jesus mentioned a hell, he mentioned hell 18 times. And that's not counting the times he talked about hell in the book of Revelation. If there is a literal hell, where is it? The many scriptures that refer to that place always use it in reference to down, beneath, 
lower parts of the earth, nether parts of the earth, always down. When you read through your Bible, you'll see what I mean. Now, there is only one scripture that I'm going to read, and it's from the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament. Other than that, just let me share with you out of my heart, my memory. I've been at this now for for 63, going on 64 years, preaching and teaching the Word of God. So I'm pretty well acclimated to many of the things that I don't know everything, but I sure know a lot more now than I did when I started out. I listen to other opinions. I listen to other ideas. But I always set them aside if it doesn't align with thus saith the Lord. Are you with me okay on that? So I heard a minister face to face tell me that he wasn't really sure that there was a literal hell. And that was not some far-off denomination. That was within the ranks that we function under and with. If there's any water, I will need a, I will need a little bit. Is there a water bottle here anywhere? All right. <clears throat> Here's a question I want to pose. If there is a hell or there are people that are already there. What is hell? Well, you hear that word hell battered around a lot of bad, a lot of, it's used in slang, it's used in, you know, colloquial terms. It's, it's just kind of a filler word in so much. You hear it, on, hear it among politicians, you hear it among the, you know, reporters. But there's a far more serious side to that than just using it colloquially in some abstract reference. I'll say right up front, hell is where the Bible says it is. Now let's see where that is. When Jesus talked about hell, he used the most specific story of two men who had died. One had gone into a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. Thank you, sir. And the other went into the burning fires of hell. The scripture said he had torment. He was thirsty. He could see over into that other location. Abraham answered him when he cried for water and said, I can't come over there to you. There's a big gulf fixed between us. Now, many of these things I'm going to say you already know, but I, I think I'll share something with you toward the clothes that you may not have thought about, haven't heard. 
I've only heard it one time, and that was many, many years ago from a preacher, and I never forgot it. So I'll share it with you. <clears throat> this place called Paradise has been questioned because Paul the Apostle referred to Paradise as being caught up into the third heavens in Paradise. Yet when Jesus talked about Paradise, he did it to the thief on the cross. And he said, today you'll be with me in Paradise. Where did Jesus go? Well, they buried his body in a tomb, but his spirit went somewhere. And most of you that had Bible teaching know According to Paul's writings by revelation, the Bible said he descended. He ascended and he descended. But first he descended. And he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Into what Jesus called paradise. Paradise, according to some writings in the Old Testament, had water. It had light. And it had other comforts. Why was it in the nether parts of the lower parts of the earth? This is probably where the Catholic uh, religion got the purgatory idea because it was like a holding place for people who had not yet gone to heaven. But why the holding place? And if it was in the heart of the earth and it had a great gulf fixed between it and between where the rich man in hell was, he could see from the darkness he was in and the fire he was in over into that light. And that's why he could talk to Abraham. That's why he could see Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, as the scripture calls it. So here we have two places, both of them, within view of each other, within conversation of each other. And yet, it's called paradise by Jesus. So clearly what happened is that all those who had died in the faith and had not yet received the promise, the promise being restored to the bosom of the Father, in their afterlife for eternity, they hadn't received that. The reason being because the proper blood sacrifice had not been shared in order to get them into the bosom of the Father. Heaven can't contain sin. They all died in sin. We've all sinned. There is no exception. And they died believing on him who was to come. In other words, they were looking. They were looking for a Messiah. The Messiah hadn't come, so they went into a place that was called Abraham's bosom. The reason it's called Abraham's bosom is because Abraham is, 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 const, is commonly known by all of us as the father of the faith. He was the man that God cut the covenant with and made a promise to that it was his seed that God was going to bless and prosper in the earth and that they would be separated from all others and given special blessings by God because of his covenant that he cut with Abraham. Well, we're doing all right so far. Yeah. 
So when Jesus went in the heart of the earth, the scripture records that he led captivity captive. Yes, Who was in captivity? All those that were in Abraham's bosom in that location called paradise where they had comforts, etc. So when Jesus led them captive, he took them away from somebody. Right. Who did he take them away from? He took them away from the devil. Yeah. How did the devil hold them in captivity? Well, because they had sinned and there was no sacrifice yet right. that could redeem them. Oh, can you say thank God for Jesus? Hallelujah. There's so much in here I can't possibly share it all, but I want to hit the highlights on the subject that we're dealing with. Is there a literal hell? Let's talk for a minute about our next body, physical body. You know, the Bible talks about the immortal body and the mortal body. We now dwell in the mortal body. No revelation there. But talk with me for a moment about the life that is in this physical body that we now dwell in. We are a spirit, possess a soul, live in a, spirit, in a physical body. In this physical body, there is life. And the life is in our blood. The blood is what keeps us going and keeps us alive. If you lose your blood, your life is gone. If the heart stops beating and pumping that blood through your system, your life is gone. The life is in the blood. Now, when Jesus died and rose again, did he have blood? No. The blood of Jesus had already been completely drained, went down the foot of that cross and into the ground. It was holy blood, especially created by God Almighty. It wasn't a man's blood that passed on into, in, in, into his mother Mary. That, that, that's where blood comes from, except for Jesus. When he was born of a virgin, God created special blood. So that blood drained out of him, went down the foot of the cross, was washed away in the rain. So when he rose from the dead, he was in an immortal body. Now, what is the life in the immortal body? The life is the spirit instead of the blood. If the spirit is the life in the immortal body, then the spirit has total control over the immortal body. It can cause that body to appear or disappear. And yet it has flesh and bone. Not blood, but flesh and bone. I know it does because when Jesus appeared to the disciples in that closed room, Never had to open a door, never knocked, didn't need a help to get in. He just went right through and appeared before them. And they thought it was a ghost. Nobody can do that. We've been contained in here with all the doors locked and the shades pulled, and we've been hiding from the, from the, from the Romans. They're going to kill us. And there stood Jesus. 
in all of his human form. And Jesus said, look at me. I'm not a ghost. A spirit, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone. Now, meaning that the spirit can abide alone or appear and disappear in a physical body. It stays in that, in that realm of the physical body, but it has the control. Are we okay? It has the control of whether it is seen or not seen. So when the disciples looked at him and Jesus said, look at me, here, handle me. Look at the scars in my hands. Here, here, Thomas, look, put your hand right there whether you saw that soldier pierce my side. You saw the water and the blood all come out. Put your hand right there. Feel of that. So let's capture some thoughts here that may plague some of us. Will we look like we were in our natural flesh and blood body when we're in our physical body? This, when we're in our, in our immortal body. This helps me to understand what I'm going to be like. Now the scripture says, if that same spirit dwells in you that dwelt in him. He will quicken your mortal body. If you do that for your mortal body, what is it going to do? It's going to give you an immortal body when your natural body or mortal body ceases to function. You're going to go somewhere, either up or down. But you're going to have another body. I know you're going to have another body in hell because you couldn't suffer if you didn't have one. You wouldn't be thirsty if you didn't have one. Everybody still with me? So the pain, the hurt, the suffering in hell is not going to just be spiritual. You'll have a body. And I know some of the ladies are wondering, probably at this point, I wonder how old I will look. Am I going to be the same age I am right now? Or will I? Well, I had a visit one time with my daddy in heaven. He died when he was 60. And I can tell you my personal experience, because this I know, and others' experiences are all good to hear. But if you ever had a personal experience like I had, You'd never forget it. I was sound asleep somewhere around three or four in the morning. And the Lord came and got me. I didn't know it until we were suspended in midair. And I started coming awake. And I looked down as I woke. And there was the sands of the beach. And I'm moving out across the sands of the beach over the water. And I shook my head and I tried to pull myself together and I thought, what is this? And the love that I felt made me think at first, this is my wife. And then it dawned on me, my wife can't do this. And I remember looking at him and we were moving swiftly 
away from the shores, out over the ocean, and up. And I remember thinking, who, who could this be aside from Jesus because of the love that I felt toward this person and because of what was happening here? And he was holding me by my left elbow. And he was standing to my left side. And when I kind of got myself together, I remember thinking, what's happening here? Where are we going? So I asked him, where are we going? And he just said, you'll see. His face was not clear to me. But that love made me know who it was and what he was doing with me. So I settled it in my heart, this is the Lord. But then I looked back down, you know, like Peter looked at the troubled water and started sinking. A, lie, a kind of a fear came over me, and I thought, if he turns me loose, I'm a dead man. So I remember thinking, if I could just put my foot on his foot and push Maybe, maybe I'd feel better if it felt solid. He knew what was in my mind. He nodded at me this way. And I restored my left foot and I pushed on top of his foot. And it's just like on sitting on granite rock. No give whatsoever. Suddenly, I felt totally comforted. And we moved through some kind of a, a, a tunnel-like experience. Can't explain it, neither dark nor light. But we moved through that and came down. And we stopped on the grass in front of a huge fence. It had bars that were about so big around, about set about that far apart. And I looked through them, and I saw six men jogging toward me. And the one in front was my daddy. He had died five months earlier, and I couldn't go past the cemetery without losing it I love my daddy so dearly, and I was no good the rest of the day to do business or anything if I just drove by the cemetery. And it was only three blocks from where I live, and it was on a path that I had to travel. The Lord knew. So when my daddy was running, he saw me, and he threw up his hands and shouted, Gerald, and he broke into a hard run. And when he got to, got to this gates, fence, I looked up, you couldn't see the top, you couldn't see the end on either side. And he reached, he just, he reached through the bars and hugged me best he could. And we stood there and talked for about 20 minutes, the best I could tell, at least in human time. And I asked him questions about why he left us like he did, et cetera, et cetera. And none of that seemed to matter at all at that point. He just simply said, Cheryl, I've got to tell you about this place. And he started describing heaven. Well, I stood there with my mouth open, hard to imagine. And after a little while, my, one of the men reached over that was with my father, reached over and laid his hand on his shoulder and called him Ariel. That's all, my, all the name my dad had. And he said, uh, Ariel, we need to go back now. My dad reached through the bars and caught me by both elbows. He looked me square in the eye and he said, son, keep doing what you're doing. It won't be long. We'll all be together again. And he looked to be 
to your pleasure about 30 years old. So he looked like the picture of health. When he died, he was, he was drawn. He, his, his, he had gone pretty gaunt looking and, and uh, looked like his blood was all drained. He just had heart trouble. So hallelujah. We're going to be in good shape. Amen. Regardless what shape we're in now, we're going to be in good shape then. Praise God. No more sickness, disease, pain, trouble, no more tears. Hallelujah to God. Anyway, we were, I fell down on the ground when my dad turned around and started jogging away from me with those. I realized those other five were angels. And I fell on the ground. I grabbed those bars and I started trying my best to pull my head through and go in there with it. I'm screaming, hollering, wait. No, dad, wait, I want to go with you. I want to go. And the Lord reached down. Ezekiel had a, a, a sensation like this experience. The Lord reached down, laid his hand right in the middle of my back instantly. I was up on my feet. And Ezekiel described something the same way. He laid his hand on me, and I was on my feet. So we turned around. Next thing I know, I woke up in my bed. My entire body was tingling like, like I'd been asleep from head to toe. You know how your arm feels if you laid on it wrong? My entire body felt like the circulation had just been cut off completely, and I was coming back into it, coming back alive. So whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but I know what I know, that I saw my daddy, and he looked about 30 instead of, instead of old and sick. Now, let's get back to where hell is. There's a, there, there, there's a thing that's been on the news, and we've all watched it, the, the, the volcanoes, especially that one in Hawaii. And it just kept creating more fissures in the ground as it traveled, going through villages, whatever. It's an awful, awful thing. Nothing any human can do to stop it. Nothing. There are quite a number of those over the surface of the earth. And when they blow, what comes out? The same identical thing. Molten lava and brimstone and fire, ash. I'm going to read something to you out of Isaiah chapter 5, verse 14, and you can meditate this. He said, therefore, hell has enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, and their multitude shall descend into it. Go down into it. How does hell enlarge itself? Could it be that these volcanoes over the surface of the earth are spigots that are releasing more of the volcano uh, of, the, of the lava and, and, and the stone it's coming out of the surface of the earth. Just, just think for yourself. Talk to yourself. I know one thing. If you watched any of that in Hawaii, you know it's there. Yeah. You don't doubt in your mind that's real. Yeah. Now, let's go a little further and talk for a minute about 
some statements that Jesus made concerning hell. He called it a lake of fire, and he called it a bottomless pit. How can there be a pit with no bottom? How could it be also a lake of fire with no bottom, nothing to contain it? Consider this with me. We know the earth is round. We didn't even know this. We didn't know that the earth circled the sun until the 1500s. When corner, I always can get messed up when I try to say his name. Cornucopus, cornucopus, cornucopus. Thanks, sir. That's why I like an audience. I get help. <laughs> he discovered in the 1500s that the Earth was round, circled the sun. You know that's why they said when in 1400s when uh, when, when uh, they started off looking for America from England you're going to fall off the edge of the earth out there somewhere. They thought the earth was flat. Now that helps explain something else to me and opens up a, a new vista. When Joshua commanded the sun to stand still, they all thought the earth was flat. They all thought the sun moved from east to west. And that's what created daylight from dark. You staying with me? How did he get daylight if the sun wasn't moving? He thought that's what he had to do, stop the sun. So what God did, since we now know the earth circles the sun and it spins on its cycles to create daylight and dark, encircles the sun to determine a year. Since we all know now that that's a fact, what God did to me was beautiful. He knew what Joshua needed, so he did what he needed to do to give Joshua what he needed, which was more time to finish the battle. He had to have more daylight. So instead of God stopping the sun, which doesn't move anyway, he stopped the earth from spinning on its cycle long enough to give that much time for Joshua to finish battle. You stand with me here? We keep learning as time goes along. Knowledge keeps increasing. Amen. Some of you folks are staring at me right now. Now you think about it. So I'm just saying it this way. When you pray to God, you may not know how he's going to answer you. You may, you may not have all the knowledge you need to say things just like you need to say it, but God knows your heart. God knows your need, and he wants you to win. Amen? You never have to settle to be a loser just because you don't know everything. Our God does know everything. And he knows how to deliver the godless, the godly. Amen. Yeah.
in the day of battle. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Now, if the earth is round, then let's use our imagination for a minute. Say we had a drill big enough that could drill from America straight through the core of the earth, the center of the earth, come out on the other side to China. And you could look over and you could see light on the other side, China. And then let's take, use our imagination, let's drop a, a thousand pound lead ball over into that hole. When it reaches the center of the earth, is it going to keep going down or is it going to start climbing toward China? The velocity of the fall will cause it to continue on its trajectory until it reaches its peak of the trajectory and then it will stop and it will fall back toward the middle. It will eventually rally right there in the core of the earth. What's going to hold it there? Gravity. Because the core of the earth is the center of gravity. No matter how dig you deep, whatever you drop in that hole, it's going to travel until it reaches the bottom. If it reaches the core of the earth, How many can see where I'm going here? Yeah. So, gravity is going to hold whatever is in the core or the center of the earth, which is where fire and brimstone and lava comes from. Those are even the words that news analysts refer to when they talk about those volcanoes. Jesus talked about those very same terms and described it as hell. If I took a million gallons of water and poured it over into that same hole, when it reaches the core or the center of the earth, is it going to continue to go up or down, or is it going to start going up? It's going to do just like the lead ball. It's going to go up toward China, until it reaches the peak of its velocity and then fall back in the center of the earth. Why? Because it's held there by gravity. There is no down from the center of the earth. Everything is up. So it's a bottomless pit. God knows what he's talking about. We trust him till we learn and understand. So the bottomless pit, the core of the earth, is where the Bible talks about hell being located. It's held there by gravity. And it only spews through the volcanoes and releases some of that because of the, of the many people, according to Isaiah 5.14, that are going there. Thank God I ain't a going. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> now let's talk about a minute about who goes there. Who goes to hell? Well, bad people. 
who goes to heaven? Well, good people. Sorry, wrong. You know why you're wrong? Because the scriptures are clear. There is none good. No, not one. We've all sinned. We've all come short. There's none righteous, not one. We've all gone out of the way. Right. Y'all not shouting real loud. So how do I know, how do I know who's going to heaven and who's not? If I judge their goodness or their badness and make that determination, could I be wrong? Now, according to the scriptures, there is one door. There's one way, one truth, and that is a man called Jesus Christ. And he clearly said, if you try to climb up any other way, you, you're not walking in the path that's going to get you there. I'm just modifying that a little bit, but you rabble readers know what it says. Now, if I follow God's guidelines for redemption, I'll go to heaven when I die. You've done that, and I've done that, and we're not afraid of this. So you probably didn't need this, but you may know somebody that does. And I'm not the judge, of course, of where a person goes when they die. I've learned a few things about judging. I can't go through life without judging. I have to make judgments. That's right. I have to determine who I want to fellowship with and who I don't. Why? Because their ways are not ways that are going to contribute to the lifestyle I want. So I judge who I want to fellowship and who I don't. Who I want to have dinner with and lunch with, who I don't. I make those judgments. Does that mean they're bad people? Well, it just means I don't agree with them. I'm making that judgment. We judge right and wrong all the time. Not only for ourselves, but by watching other people and what they do. We judge. Now, what about where Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged? I've come to understand something. You know, if every word, if every word, if every word was in this Bible that, that Jesus and the disciples and everybody always, there wouldn't be room enough in the skies to make a book big enough. So we have to try to understand the principles of life. And I understand this. When I judge someone else, if I do it with condemnation, it's going to fall back on me. But I can judge whether others are right and wrong, whether they're doing right or wrong, but I don't do it with condemnation. I just make decisions, and I leave them with God and to God. Well, I hope this hadn't bored you too much, but I've also come to this conclusion. When it comes time to judging 
a person's eternal destiny? I can't do that. There's only one that has the power to judge the final destiny of a person's soul. Oh, I'm glad I'm not responsible for that. That's why every funeral I've ever done, I never, never left an impression that that person was going to hell or to heaven. I just won't. I talk about the things that I thought were pluses in their life, influences they've been, etc., etc. But it's not, I don't know what's in people's heart, and neither do you. Amen? Amen? So I be careful about how I judge people in this life, lest there be any condemnation in my heart toward them or about them. I'll leave that to God. Just pray for them. If I see that it's wrong, I pray for them. God, that's up to you. It's not up to me. I can't fix it anyway. I just ball things up and make it worse when I try. You know what I'm saying? So thank you, Father, that they're in your hands and not mine. That's your problem, Father. It's not mine. I'm not going to let it be. Somebody said, yeah, but you ought to heard how they cussed me. Well, just, just leave that to be their problem. That's not your problem. cheated me they yeah I know and that's their problem unless you make it yours yeah but I lost a lot of money God said I can give it back to you just follow my instructions I'll bless you I'll take care of you no weapon formed against you is going to prosper just don't be a judge with condemnation toward other people amen I hope that helps oh uh, I'll conclude with one final question for anybody that you might hear that talks about their concerns or maybe doubt that there is a literal hell. If there is no literal hell, where is their cause for evangelism? What are we saving them from if we get them saved? Hello. Yeah. There is a place called hell that is a place of burning fire and brimstone and it's located according to the scriptures in the heart of this earth and it's held there by gravity and it only expands when the volcanoes open up and make more room for the ungodly. Now i got one final question. I won't answer it for you because I can't. What about people that have never heard the gospel? What about people of other religions that don't believe in the Bible? How many of you know that there are plenty people on the surface of this earth into the millions that have still not heard if there's no concern for them, then why did Jesus tell his disciples to go into all, all the earth and make disciples, teaching them, preaching to them, and save them, teach them, save them, tell them the story, tell them the truth? Why do we spend all the money we do to get this message out to the ungodly and the unsaved? We do it because we believe what this book says about redemption. That's, it. That's why we do it. Spend lots of money doing that. Missionaries you support.
consistent. So, when it comes to determining where they're going when they die, I just like to think that God being God and God loving humanity and God being a God of mercy, that he will make the judgments as Abraham requested, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. So I leave those things in the hands of God. I just go with what I do know. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him. And I know from experience as well as just by faith in God, I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. Father, I thank you so much for the people that have listened so carefully today. Father, I pray that you'll cause these words and these thoughts to be strong in the hearts of their memories so that they may pass on anything that they feel would be worthy and helpful to other people. Give us wisdom, Father. Give us wisdom and understanding. Yes, Lord. Yes. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I want to ask this question. It's so important. If there's anybody here, you say, Preacher, I've listened to you this morning, and, you know, I'm kind of concerned, and I'm not sure I'm, I'm ready to go, to go to heaven when I die. I don't want to reject God's plan and have to hear that when I stand before the great judge. I want God to save my soul. If you feel that way, put your hand up. I'm going to pray for you, and God's going to make sure that you go to heaven when you die. Anybody out there want to go to heaven when you die? and you haven't been sure, you don't know for certain, is that little man back there raising his hand? Do I see your hand, son? You want to come up here just a minute? Is it? No, you don't want to? Okay. Say this prayer with me right there where you are. Dear Jesus, I listen to you, and I believe you, and I come to God Almighty in your name. I ask you to come into my heart, and save my soul so I know I'll go to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name, I receive it. Amen. Amen.